0: Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Revolution, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. Here's Pastor Nick.
1: Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 19 this morning. Here on Sunday mornings, we're studying through the book of Acts in our sermon series titled Revolution. And in the book of Acts, what we're seeing is, what we're looking at is the revolution that took place in the wake of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the news of who he was and what he had done as it spread out into the world, as it changed individuals, as it changed families, as it transformed communities and ultimately empires. And the incredible thing is that 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 revolution continues on to this day as well, and we are part of carrying that out in our generation today. So please pray with me as we open God's word in Acts chapter 19. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here among us today. And Lord, we come to you with open hearts and expectant uh, minds and hearts, Lord, expecting to hear from you and asking that you would speak to us and teach us from your word, Lord, that these things would transform our lives as they renew our minds. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So currently we're in a part of the book of Acts where we are reading about the very first missionaries, people who left house and home to go to people that they had never met before, people in distant lands at great expense to themselves and even danger to themselves in order to take to them the life-giving message, the news of Jesus Christ to these people. So specifically, we've been following the travels and the work of a man named Paul. And here in Acts chapter 19, we see, we catch up with Paul. He's now on his third missionary journey, and he's come to the city of Ephesus, which as we will read in our section today, we're going to see that this is really a high point of his ministry as a missionary and a pastor. We read in this chapter last week, we previously saw this, just to catch you up. We saw that through Paul's work in Ephesus, we read in uh, chapter 19, verse 10, that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now that's the Roman province of Asia, which i got a map here for you. That shows that the Roman province of Asia was Western Turkey. And so later on in this chapter, it will also tell us that here in Ephesus, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What was going on in Ephesus was something that Christians have you know, historically referred to as revival. This was one of those special times when large numbers of people were coming to the faith and as a result, an entire community was transformed. In the early days of the United States, we experienced something similar in what we called the series of great awakenings. Uh, there was a, the great Wesleyan revival that swept through England in which every town in England Even to this day, there was only a few towns where the Wesleyan revival did not take place. In the early 20th century, there was a great revival in Wales. And even more recently, in the 1960s and 70s, there was a revival amongst the youth culture in California. Now, these were special times when many people turned to God and embraced the gospel, and as a result, not only individual lives, but families, but even more than that, entire communities were impacted and affected and changed in the process. This is what we're going to see happen with Paul here in Ephesus. As he preached, as he taught for three years in Ephesus, many people embraced Jesus, and as a result, the city of Ephesus began to change in noticeable ways. That sounds pretty great, right? That's what we want. That's what we'd love to see happen here where we live as well. But as you see and as you might expect, not everybody was especially happy about these changes that were beginning to take place in their community as a result of so many people becoming Christians. So during the time that Paul was in Ephesus, he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians. And at the end of that first letter to the Corinthians, he says this, he writes them, he says, I hope to spend time with you. He wants to come visit them. He says, if the Lord permits, I will. He says, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. I love that attitude. There's a lot of people who oppose me, so I'm gonna stay here some more. That's the story of Paul's time in Ephesus. There was on the one hand revival and on the other hand, there was great opposition. So the title of today's message is Revival and Opposition. There are three elements to this story which we're gonna be looking at. First of all, we're gonna see transformative teaching Then we're going to see that there were extraordinary miracles. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about why so angry. So transformative teaching, extraordinary miracles, and why so angry. Ephesus was one of the great cities of the ancient world. It was a city with a population of 300,000, which doesn't sound like a lot to us now, but for that time, that was a very large city. I mean, you've got to consider that's before urbanization and all these things, before modern technology. This was a city of 300,000 people. That made it the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, and it was the chief city of the province of Asia, which is western Turkey. So today, ancient Ephesus is a huge archaeological site. Uh, much of the city still remains. And the biggest archaeological find in Ephesus has been an outdoor theater which seats 25,000 people. Now, to give you some perspective, the uh, Coors Events Center in Boulder seats 11,000 people. The Pepsi Center seats 19,000 people. Okay? So this is a, an arena that sat 25,000 people back in the day. So uh, that's still standing in Ephesus, and we're going to see that that is a part of our story today, actually, that, that uh, theater that's been uncovered. But what Ephesus was more famous for, even more than their giant arena, what Ephesus was most famous for was that it was home to the temple of the goddess Artemis. And this temple to Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. If you remember back to elementary school when you had to learn about the seven wonders of the ancient world, this is one of them. It was one of the largest buildings in the world at the time. And even by today's standards, it was enormous. Here's some uh, measurements for you. It was 400 feet long. So think about a football field and then tack on another uh, third of a football field. That's how long this building was. It was 200 feet wide. It was surrounded by 127 pillars of marble, which each of them, they were 60 feet high. So you remember the Parthenon in Athens? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, Paul was in Athens, you know, the Parthenon up on the Acropolis, this huge temple. Well, to give you some perspective, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus was seven times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. It was humongous. So Artemis was the goddess of Fertility and prosperity. And the temple to Artemis was a great attraction, a humongous tourist attraction, a religious site that people would make pilgrimages to. Travelers from all over the empire, they would come to make privileges or pilgrimages to Ephesus in order to come to the temple of Artemis in order to get the blessing of Artemis, which was prosperity and fruitfulness and fertility in their lives. That's what they were seeking after. And this religious tourism, as you can imagine, it brought a lot of income to the city. A lot of money to the local economy there in Ephesus. So Paul came to Ephesus. He stayed there for three years, which is longer than he stayed anywhere else as a missionary. And part of the reason was because God was doing such a great work in Ephesus, he wanted to stay. The first element that characterized Paul's time in Ephesus and the revival that took place there was transformative teaching. So that's our first point we want to look at. Read with me, if you would, from verse 8. Chapter 19, He, that's Paul, he entered the synagogue when he came to Ephesus, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks." This Hall of Tyrannus, some translations of yours, if you're reading a different translation than I am, it might call it the School of Tyrannus. That's because this was a lecture hall. It was a rented room in a local school that Paul borrowed or rented, and he would have meetings there. It says that he met there daily, and during these meetings, he would teach from the scriptures about Jesus, and he would challenge people intellectually and emotionally to consider who Jesus was and to consider what Jesus did and what that meant for their lives. Lives. There's one ancient document which says that Paul did this every day from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's five hours. That's a lot of teaching. That was siesta time, by the way, in that society. And so while everyone was taking a break from work, Paul would go and he had this room that he rented or borrowed and he would teach the Ephesian disciples, the Christians, and anyone else who was interested and he would teach for five hours every day, six days a week. We imagine that he probably took the Sabbath off We guess that. So six days a week, five hours a day for two years. That's thousands of hours of teaching. So these Ephesian believers would have been extremely a well-taught group.
0: You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message.
1: And the result of these two years of explaining and instructing of doctrine and application, the, the result of that is that these Ephesian believers ended up with an excellent understanding of the scriptures and they were equipped to effectively minister to people in their community. One of the things we read there is that as a result of Paul's teaching all this time in the hall of Tyrannus, it says that all the the residents of the Roman province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The disciples that Paul was training through this regular teaching, they went into their neighborhoods, they went into their workplaces, into towns and villages, and they took the word of God with them to those places. As they were being taught by Paul, in the process, they were being equipped. They were being equipped to speak to others, answer their questions uh, because of what they were learning from Paul from the scriptures and this is the very kind of thing that Paul actually writes to the Ephesians about in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4 he tells them that the role of a pastor and a teacher anybody who's leading in the church the role of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and so that's what Paul was doing there in Ephesus he was teaching the whole counsel of God. See, this is our heart at Whitefields as well. We place a big emphasis on teaching the Bible, on reasoning about the gospel, and our goal is to equip you. That's what this is all about, equipping you so that you will be able to minister to people who you cross paths with, people uh, that you come in contact with, so you'll be equipped to teach your kids and to answer questions that, that people you know might have about Christianity. So Paul's teaching in Ephesus, it wasn't just informative, though. It was also transformative. Paul would later write to the Romans, and he would say this. He would say, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So teaching that transforms your life is teaching which renews your mind, which engages you intellectually and challenges your deep-seated patterns of thinking with the gospel, the message of who God is and, and who you are and what God has done for you in Christ. You see, the reason why Paul was so committed to teaching, that he spent Five hours a day doing it six days a week for two years. That's a commitment. The reason he was so committed to teaching is because he knew that the Word of God has the power to transform a person's life. See, that's why he consciously invested the majority of his time in Ephesus to teaching the believers, to reasoning about the gospel, making sure that these people were rooted and grounded in the scriptures, that they would be able to give an answer to anyone who asked a question about the hope that they had. And this teaching of God's word, this was an important part of the great revival that took place in Ephesus. People were encountering God through Paul's reading and teaching of the scriptures, They were being transformed by the renewing of their minds as they were being equipped to follow Jesus and teach others about Jesus and answer any questions that people might have about Jesus. Here in Ephesus, as Paul taught the whole counsel of God, his goal was nothing less than transformation, to see people transformed from people who didn't know God to people who did know God, to, to see them transformed from people who, who weren't following Jesus to people who were active disciples of Jesus, following him in every area of their lives, transforming people into ambassadors for Christ in their communities. You see, this kind of transformation, again, that's what we're at here at Whitefield. That's part of our mission statement. Our mission is to facilitate gospel transformation through the teaching of the scriptures. You see, that's why we teach the Bible the way we do. We want to encounter God in his word, and we want to be transformed from the way we are to the way that he wants us to be. That's why we want to get the whole counsel of God's word, that we might not be conformed to this world, but that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we might know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So not only was there transformative teaching, but we also see the next thing was that there were extraordinary miracles. Verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Some of your translations will say unusual miracles. These were things which even as far as miracles are concerned, which you'd think a miracle is kind of extraordinary by nature, right? But even beyond that, as far as miracles are concerned, these were especially uh, noteworthy. They were especially um, unusual. God was doing unusual, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the, we'll we'll go on in a second. So we read here, what we're going to read is about evil spirits, now, see what the Bible teaches is that there are, in fact, spiritual forces of evil that are at work in the world. Uh, these spiritual forces of evil are limited by God. They exist within parameters which God has given them. And there are times when they will tempt us, when they will uh, deceive us. And if a person gives themselves over to them, they can control that person in some way and to some degree. And what, that makes sense when you think about it, when you think about the things that we deal with in our lives, that it's not just coincidence. It's not not just uh, dealing with our flesh. There's more to it than that. There are spiritual forces of evil at work in the world. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how Paul worked, he worked part-time as a tent maker to support himself. So in the mornings, he was making tents, and then in the afternoons, he would go and teach in the lecture hall. And so being a tent maker, he would have aprons and handkerchiefs, you know, he gets hot, you sweat, you wipe your sweat, and he would uh, set these things down while he was working or stepped away from his work or went away to teach. And people, it seems, kept coming by and stealing these things, which must have been incredibly frustrating for Paul, right? Like, gosh, I have to get a new apron every day. This is getting expensive, right? You put it down in your handkerchief, you turn around and it's gone again, right? So the, the uh, text here, the impression it gives us that people were coming by and they were snagging, they were stealing, they were running off with his, you know, sweat claws and his aprons that were touching his skin. Now remember, this was Ephesus. This was a hotbed of pagan superstitious uh, Belief. This was a magic-oriented city. That was the culture of the city. People believed that relics had power, that somebody's personal item, which had touched their skin, was endowed with their spiritual power. So people kept running off with Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons, and, you know, that's gotta be frustrating. They were taking his personal items, and they were laying them on the sick so that they would be healed, and on those who had evil spirits, and they were being set free. And it actually worked. See, Ephesus was, again, a hotbed of pagan religion. It was the air that they breathed. It was the water that they swam in. It was the culture of the city. And so in that culture, this is how people thought. They thought that a person like Paul, he preaches the one true God. He preaches Jesus, the divine Savior. And maybe... His personal items could be used as relics because they're endowed with spiritual power of his God, and therefore they can be used for healing and freeing from evil spirits. And the interesting thing is, God actually did it, right? It wasn't the handkerchiefs that that healed these people. It says in the text, God did these things. Now you wonder, now why would God do that? Isn't that somehow kind of validating their superstitions? But, but what God did here is something that we find an example of in several other places throughout the Bible. And that's this, that from time to time, God accommodates people's superstitions or their, or their bad practices. He doesn't approve of them. He doesn't think they're okay. But in order to meet them where they're at, in order to point them to him as the real thing, he'll accommodate Remember, this is a city steeped in magic and occultism, and although God doesn't approve of their practices, he chooses to meet these people and give them kind of what they're looking for, which is a power encounter on their own turf. And the message it would send was that the God that Paul preaches is the true God who has power over demons and and spiritual world. They would know that the God that Paul preaches has real spiritual power over the physical world and over the spiritual world. And so they would listen to what Paul had to say because his God is the one who truly has power. And it seems that this actually worked because look at what happened next, verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. See he was working, and so these people were like, hey, we'll jump on board, right? It's another tool in our toolbox seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? So word began to spread that this, there was real spiritual power in the name of Jesus. And so here are these people, and you know, they've got this little family business of exercising demons. And so they say, hey, It's working for those guys. Maybe it'll work for us. So they start invoking the name of Jesus kind of in a superstitious way, right? Like as a formula to drive out demons, kind of a magic word that they could utilize at will as one more tool in their toolbox to get the job done. But uh, as you'll see, it didn't quite work the way they wanted. Verse 16, "...and the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded." that's a bad ministry day right like you go into ministry with your uh, six brothers and one day you come home and uh, you're naked and you're covered in blood and your wife says how was the day honey and you're just like I don't want to talk about it And you just go to your room and you shut the door so the problem with the seven sons of Sceva is that they were trying to use Jesus but they had no relationship with Jesus do you see the difference they're trying to use Jesus but they have no relationship with Jesus and I wonder how many people there are like that today, right? You, you know of Jesus, but you don't know him. You know of him, but you have no relationship with him. You don't follow him. You know of Jesus like these guys did. They knew that Jesus whom Paul preaches. Maybe some of you know him in similar ways. The Jesus who my mom and dad believe in. The Jesus who the pastor talks about. The Jesus who my spouse believes in, but you have no relationship with him of your own. But see, but like the seven sons of Sceva, even though you have no relationship with Jesus, you still think that he might be useful to you in some ways, right? In the event that you might end up needing some help with something you can't do yourself, maybe he could be useful to you. See, that's where these seven sons of Sceva were at. And that's where many people are at in regard to Jesus. They see Jesus as potentially useful, but that's it. But what happens when you come to really understand the gospel, when you come to understand what Jesus did for you, the message of the cross, what happens when you come to really know and understand it is this, that you no longer view Jesus as useful, you begin to see Jesus as beautiful. You no longer invoke his name because he's useful to you, you begin to invoke his name because he's beautiful to you. You see, when you really understand the gospel, when you really understand the depth of your lostness and the riches of God's love and grace towards you expressed in what he did for you on the cross, then you no longer seek him because he's useful. You begin to seek him because he's beautiful. Uh, I've uh, I've used this illustration before, and I think it bears repeating. You know, a lot of uh, times pastors will use this phrase, right? we will say, you can have a personal relationship with God. And we think that that is, you know, something that's very, you know, that's a great sales pitch, right? Like who wouldn't want to have a relationship with God? Everybody's going to jump on board with this, right? But the thing is this that a lot of people, I think, in their perception, that offer isn't as attractive as we pastors tend to uh, think that it is, right? Because in in some people's perception, it, that offer is about as attractive as if you would say to a school child Hey, what if I told you, you could have a personal relationship with the principal of your school, right? Like, are you, are you excited, right? See, that's just not something they really want. I mean, I mean, yes, they know the principal is there, and the principal is an important person, and the principal probably does some really important stuff, and he's probably really nice and all, but their goal in life is really to just kind of steer clear of the principal and never really end up in his office, right? So they respect the principal. But they're not really looking to have a personal relationship with the principle, right? And I think that's how many people feel about God. Like, hey, I'm good with God. Like, I just try to stay on his good side, try to keep all the rules so I don't get on his bad side. And I just leave it at that, right? Like, me and God, as long as we're cool and not, you know, bothering each other, then it's all good. But one day, what if you were to find out? that several years ago, before you can even remember, you were deathly ill and you needed several transplants and infusions and a search was done near and far for all possible donors who could do this for you, but none was found because no one could be found who was a perfect match to be a donor for you, to give you what you needed to save your life, except for one, the principal. And he gave two kidneys and a liver and his right arm and half his brain and all of his blood to the point where he died on the operating table but miracle of miracles, he's now alive and he saved your life. Do you think that might change, that knowledge might change your feelings about the principal? Well, of course it would. It would change your entire disposition towards him, the way that you relate to him, the way you think about him. It would all change. You'd smile when you walk past him. You'd begin to watch him and observe him with a curious eye. Who is this person who would do such an incredible thing to save me? Well, I've never done anything for him. You'd want to get to know him. And in the meantime, guess what? You would trust him, wouldn't you? You'd inherently trust him because clearly he has proven that he cares about you. And so he must have your best interest in mind. See, when you really understand the gospel, when the gospel becomes personal to you, then you no longer view God primarily as useful, but you begin to see God as beautiful.
0: You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick,